0: Thank you. You know, we're, um, we're jumping into this breaking through the barriers. That's been our breaking barriers. has been our theme. It's been what we've been exploring together. And we've been looking at the book of Acts. The Acts has been the template that we've been using. And we got ourselves to this 10th chapter of Acts where there's this amazing exchange between uh, Peter and a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is destined to become the first Gentile, the first non-Jew, uh, to become part of the church of Jesus. And as such, it's a remarkable moment, and one worth noting in scripture, because it has implications really for all of us. And so, I wanna jump back into where we were. We, we, we left off last week, I wanna look at uh, verse number one, and we'll pick up, and I, I need to set this context, so listen as best as you can. I'm gonna to try to, uh, get. my goal right now is to get us, by the time that we're done, to be more open to the things, the new things, that God's trying to prompt us towards. The adjustments he may be wanting us to make in our lives. To not be afraid. To not hold on to things when the Lord's saying, I think you need to let go of that. You need to let go of that. So we're talking about being open to a new vision of what God wants to do. And it might be a small thing or it might be a big thing. Might have to do with a relationship, it might have to do with something at work. Might have to do with something that the Lord is asking us to address in our own lives. Wherever it is, I'm convinced that God has some wisdom for us. So here we go. Verse number one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. We talked about this last week. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout, devout man who feared God with all of his household, and he gave alms generously. He was a giving man. He honored the Lord with his first fruits. And he prayed continually to God. He was sincere. He was a sincere believer in the God of Israel. He would have been called at that time, he would have been referred to, because he wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman. He was a Roman soldier. Remember we talked about where he was stationed in Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the Sea. We looked at that last week. But he was a man who had come to believe in the God of Israel. He had been attracted as many actually um, Gentiles were in a society that was just filled with polytheism and idolatry and and rampant with immorality. He was attracted to the the strength and the the anchor of the teachings of the the God of Israel, the the scriptures. They they gave him a mooring point. Many people were attracted to this um, and drawn to it, but they were not yet ready to, to become A Jewish person. I mean they weren't ready to become a proselyte. This is again these are terms we don't use so much but in their day if you wanted to really attach yourself to the Jewish people and follow God as part of a synagogue you needed to decide to become fully Jewish. That was the only way you could have full fellowship. For a male that meant you had to be circumcised as an adult and you had to be willing to break with many significant parts of Gentile culture. That that had implications for men and women. But there was also another category of people. They were called God-fearers. Cornelius appears to be one of these. They considered themselves believers in God. They embraced the life of the scriptures. They tried to honor the teachings of, of Moses. And they were sincere and devout, like he was. They even fellowshiped in a very limited way. They were allowed only, listen, as Gentiles who had not fully converted and become Jewish, they were allowed only to sit and listen. They could not even enter into worship. They were on the outside. They had limited fellowship. That's the setup for this. And again, one of the things, and I, and I think I put, I did, uh, there's a quotation there on the second side of your, your handout here, where, it said, where John Stott, who's a commentator on the book of Acts writes this, it is difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles, including even God-fearers, those who believed but were Gentile, non-Jewish, on the other. No Orthodox Jew would even enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fearer, or invite such one into, the, into his home. And the reason was, in their mind, because there were unclean things, and they were listed in the in the in the. You know, scriptures, the book of Leviticus specifically talks about them and diet, dietary practices and, you know, Gentiles engaged in things that were unclean. They ate things that were unclean to the Jewish people. And as a result, you, you had only, you could be friends. You could even have a limited interaction as a neighbor, but you could not be close. It was not really allowed. And you were not ever, it, that, that was a pretty big barrier. Now, again, one of the things we realize here is important to remember that. Here's the other piece. The early church, the followers of Jesus, all the apostles, and the first believers were all Jewish. And they did not consider themselves a separate, distinct religion. They considered themselves part of the Jewish faith, the only distinctive being that they believed Jesus was the living Messiah, the promised one, the Redeemer of Israel. And, uh, but in every other way, they saw themselves as part of the larger Jewish expression of, that had been transferred down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way through Moses to their people even to this day. They did not see themselves apart. And yet one of the things that, that you know, and again, they, so they had the same kind of approach to religious life. And one of the things, though, remember what Jesus has said, though, he's told Nicodemus, he said, remember, though, that, that God, remember what he said, t- it's the most famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life, everlasting, overflowing, abundant. But it was God loved the world. It wasn't just the Jewish people. Later on, on the other side of the resurrection, Jesus would give his disciples a commission. We call it the Great Commission. He would say, go into the world and preach and teach all nations, help become dis- my disciples. Well, so far, that had not happened. Um, we, we realized that, that they, they hadn't pushed for any further. Um, and so at this point in the church, even, even though there were, seems to have been a, a breakdown of barriers at a societal level, in other words, you know, some people who were lower class were intermixing with people who were more powerful and upper class, that barrier seemed to be broken. There were people who did what had been unclean occupations who had now been allowed into the church of Jesus. There were some Samaritans who were mixed Jewish people who were li- functioning in the, in the church of, of Jesus. But there was no Gentile. There was no, there was no, one, no one that Cornelius. That, that was about to change. Look at verse 3. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly this man, this Cornelius man, a vision of an angel of God came to him. He said to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, some of you may remember if you've been, well, from last week, but also if you've been just following along with the Rise and Shines, the vlogs that we, we, we send out to anyone who wants them every morning, six days a week, six out of seven and one of the things we're talking about is the power of stacking our prayers and how sometimes we, we give up too quickly, we stop praying for something. And this principle of, of offering his prayers, his prayers came up as a memorial they built and there was a tipping point. And out of that tipping point comes this opening. And a lot of times, you know, we're praying, we're sincere, we're believing, we're hoping. And I think sometimes the tendency is we might give up. Sometimes we give up way too soon I wonder if we could see if, if it, and this is just an example of like how close sometimes we are to seeing something open up in, a, in an almost miraculous way. He's praying, he has this vision. In this vision, he, it scares him. He, he, he sees this person, like it's an angel we're told, but he didn't know that. It says this, this, in this, 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 this image of this, this it would seem like a man or something an angel of God says to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. He says, what is it, Lord? He, he, instant, he recognizes it's God. He, and, he, and he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Here's what you need to do. Send men to Joppa bring, and bring one Simon. Go get a man named Simon who's, who goes by the name of Peter. He's actually lodging with another man named Simon who's a tanner. And um, whose house is by the sea. Now, remember we talked about a tanner? That's not someone who likes to get a suntan. We talked about that, remember? We talked about how a tanner was someone who worked with dead skin and, and turned it into leather, right? Uh, leather. It was a worker, but it was a very um, dirty occupation. It, it, you had to scrape the fat and the hair off of these dead animals, and then they used chemicals that were you know, just, just awful smelling and powerful to to clean, and then dry. So no one wanted to hang out with a tanner. Peter was there staying. It tells you something. So anyway, Cornelius is told, go send men find this man named Peter. He's staying with another man named Simon, who's a tanner, whose house is by the sea in this place called Joppa. And When the angel spoke to him and departed, he called two of his servants, and this and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, I'm going to put the map up because real place. Still see it today. Good for us to know what we're reading about. Very important, actually. You see where Caesarea Maritima is right there? We looked at that last week. We, we saw some shots of it. it. That is where Cornelius was. was this, he had an outpost. It was a Roman outpost. It was a predominantly Gentile city actually built by Herod. Ruins are still there, you can see it. It's pretty amazing and it's beautiful. It's a national park in Israel today. But Cornelius is told to go and send a, man, a group of men south to go get a man named Peter, who's staying at the house of a man named, a man named Simon, who's a tanner who's living uh, by the sea in a town called Joppa. Now you can see that place today. In fact, we did a few, uh, a year ago, a group of our church went there, but this is Java. And you can see the beauty of it. Even, even in a modern frame, you can still get a sense of what it would have looked like. It was really, I wanted you to have that feel. I wanted you to almost smell it. I wanted you to be able to see it. Because Simon's there, Peter's there at Simon's house, and you can see the blue waters of the Mediterranean. And you can almost see that even the architecture today still resembles somewhat of what it probably would have looked like. These, very, these houses kind of built next to each other with a floor. A lot of times, the room was the roof and there would be a canopy on the roof, a covering, a shade. It didn't have a lot of stories, so you could have a bottom level that was colder, but stone, and then you can go up maybe a ladder to another level that would allow you to be on the rooftop. You, but somebody has some beautiful views of the sea. And so anyway, the next day, this is, keep that in your mind, the next day as they were on their journey, approaching the city, look at verse nine, guys. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So, Cornelius has his vision the day before at 3 p.m. He responds and sends his guys down to Joppa. While they're on their way, that same, the next day, it says that they were on their journey approaching the city. Peter, he, about the middle of the day, decides that he's going to pray, which was his custom at noon, before lunch. And he was going up, but he decided he was going to go up. He went to the roof to pray. And I, I was, the housetop, we're told. And again, he, he, we're told something else, that he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And maybe he smelt the food being made, he's praying, he's hungry, he's tired. While they were preparing it, he kind of falls into a, a kind of sleep, a kind of a trance. He's just kind of in that half-sleep state. Think about it. Again, let's that picture of the setting by the sea, on the roof, He's on the roof, the blazing sun is coming down, but there's a canopy there. And as, he pr- as Peter pr- goes up to pray, and as he settles into that prayer, I'm wondering if he as he's looking out at the blue Mediterranean to the horizon, and he's praying, if maybe part of him remembers what Jesus said about going into all the world. You gotta remember, he had no idea what was beyond that sea. Nobody did. At this time, no one knew didn't even know what the world, what, what, how far the world reached. He didn't even know what were the nations. I have a feeling he was praying, and as he's praying, he's hungry. And as he's hungry, he starts to get tired. And prayer can sometimes do that, right? Sometimes you're praying, you get—it's amazing. I say to somebody, I say, "Are you having a hard time sleeping? Have you considered praying at night?" <laughs> <laughs> only be—not because it, I, I'm only saying that because I've noticed sometimes. Wow, when I start praying, I start praying, I, say, I, try to stay, I, I want to keep my concentration, stay awake. Peter's in this kind of sleep state. And as he's praying, with, again, under the canopy, the blue waters, the sun, he's hungry, he's smelling the food down below. All of a sudden something happens, and he gets this, it's kind of like a, 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 a it's a vision, but it's, like a, it's bizarre. It's a rather bizarre thing that he, he sees. Look at it, it says in verse 11, it says, as he's in that kind of prayer and he's kind of in that half-sleep state, it says he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet is descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And there's all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air that are in this sheet now, again, what, what, what he's saying, I try to, try to imagine it in your mind's eye, because what you were basically being told is as he's in this kind of half-awake half state, he gets this vision. And in this vision, and again, think about it, he's under a canopy, but then he sees this massive canopy that in a way is like descending down from the sky. I tried to imagine, it, and it's got four corners, like it's being let down. And in, these, on, and in this massive sheet, he sees in his mind's eye this, this amalgamation, uh, groups of animals and reptiles and insects and creatures of every kind, right? And, and then he's given this, this, he hears this voice say, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common, impure, defiled, or unclean. And again, to appreciate what we just read, we have to understand something. We have to understand and it puts it into context, that he had been taught from the early age, his earliest age, as all other Jewish children had, whose parents were serious about honoring God, that that they were to keep a certain way of life and that they were to keep the law of Moses. And the law was very clear. You read Leviticus 11. There were animals that were unclean and you were not to eat them at all. Now some of us have dietary restrictions. Some of us have ve- are very committed. I talked to someone yesterday who was like a committed vegan. And I, I got me thinking, oh, you know, this makes total sense to me then. But from their youth up, they didn't eat certain foods. Now part of it is because certain foods in those days, ancient days when God was bringing Israel out of Egypt, here's a practical component. Many of the foods that they were told not to eat um, were disease-ridden, and from the overall health of as a people, they were told not to eat this food. It had, it had been, over time, part of their religious devotion. So Peter, here's the thing, when he looks up in the sky, he, what he sees, when he says, when he says, when he sees those things, when he says, I have, when he hears the Lord's voice say, rise and eat, slay and eat, you eat those. His statement of, I have, no, I do not do that. I have, I have never. When he said, I have never, he meant, I have never. I I don't eat that. And again, part of the the law was dietary. And again, in his mind, what he's seeing is all this sheet, this massive sheet full of unapproved um, creatures. I mean, I tried to imagine what they were. You know, I was trying to go, further. let me see what this is. Pigs, I know there are pigs in there, I know it. <laughs> I see a buzzard, I see a buzzard, I see a buzzard, a lobster, uh, every kind of big insect, you know? Uh, I, all kinds of stuff, an owl, a seagull, a reptile, snakes, many snakes, all kinds of snakes in there, right? Everything, I'm imagining all the creatures that he's seeing. And he's looking at that, and the Lord says, slay and eat, and he says, no! No, I don't do that. But he throws in, no, Lord, I don't do that. And what we're told here is, because his immediate reaction is what? To recoil. I mean, even, even sensing it's God is not enough for him. No, Lord, no, I don't do that. No, Lord, no, Lord. And the voice came to him. Look at verse 15. It came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common, impure, defiled. And this happened three times. Three is to- a significant number for Peter, by the way. A lot of things happen three times. And then the thing after the third, so the first time, rah, he sees this thing being lowered down from the corners, and he sees these, this massive sheet filled with all kinds of unclean animals, and, 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 and then he's told, rise, slay, and eat. And he says, no, Lord, by no means I don't do that. And then the voice comes back. What I have called clean, do not call unclean. Then again, rise and eat, Peter. No, Lord, I don't do that. No. What What I have called clean, do not call unclean. Rise up and eat, Peter. No, I will not do that. What God has called clean, do not call unclean. And it's interesting because there were at least... Two other times. See, he's pushing back on God, isn't he? In his mind. He's having this confidence. No. It reminded me of two other times. You know, Peter, the Bible gives us great uh, insight into some of Jesus' disciples. John, Matthew, Thomas, even Judas. But maybe no one has given more. We're, we're, maybe we're given um, more, I don't think there's anybody who's are given more access to than Peter. You remember there were there were two other times when he told the Lord no. Can you remember them? One time, Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi, and he made a statement. He said, um, he says, I'm a, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I need to let you know that I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be humiliated, I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to die, I'm going to be killed. And Peter's listening to this, and he says to him, no. It says, it says he, he pulls the Lord aside, and he rebukes him. Now, you got to have something to rebuke Jesus, right? <laughs> we. We are, no, you are not going to die in Jerusalem. Far be it from you, Lord. No, we will not allow that. That is not going to happen. And before he can even finish his statement, Jesus turns to him, and he doesn't even call him by name. You know what he says to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Get behind me. And then he says, you, you, he's pointing at Peter. You, you are a hindrance to me because you you think only of the things of man, but not the things of God. You get behind me. It was an intense moment. And then what was the other, other moment? So that, was, that one he never forgot. There was another one. Remember what it was? Some of you do, but not everyone <clears throat> There's a moment on the night of Jesus' betrayal. They're all arguing and trying to position themselves for who would be the greatest. No one wants to wash the feet of the others. To their shock, stunned amazement, Jesus gets down, puts the ta- towel around him, and carries the basin and starts in the utter silence of what no one could have anticipated, washing the feet of each of the disciples. He gets to Peter. You know what Peter says? You aren't washing my feet. Now, part of me admires. Actually, part of me respects him. He was saying, this, no Lord, no, 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 no. You don't wash my feet. I wash your feet. You don't wash my feet. No, you cannot wash my feet." Pulls him back. <laughs> He's laying down, I think, reclining. No, no, no. No. Jesus says to him, "He was a no, it was a no. Jesus says to him, if you do not let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. All right, <laughs> wash my, and he washes the feet. I want. The rebuke in the vision, the rebuke by God, Must have have reminded him of these other moments. What God has made clean, do not call common impure. What was the Lord getting at? Okay, for those of us who are drilling deeper and taking our notes and and really processing this through, I want to put something on the board, and here we go. Here's one principle that just really does stand out. Here it is, that we must be careful, look at this, not to limit God by our own perceptions or past experiences, because there are gonna be times when God wants to stretch us. He really does. You know, Peter's vision was given for us all. The, uh, the unclean animals that he saw, I think they clearly represented the Gentiles. If you think about it, the, the, all of the vast masses of people, human beings, non-Jewish people who who existed in the world? The four corners, if you can think of it this way: the east, the west, the north, and the south. The mass of humanity. I mean, if you think about it at this time, and remember, remember how much of the world that, that Peter wasn't even aware of. Nobody was at that time. Nobody even knew. I mean, the, they're pretty much their understanding of the world at this time was per, the 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 near, the, what we would call the Near East, the the. The part of Asia that maybe bled itself into Babylon and Iran, Iraq and Iran, still in news today, a ton. Right, the, the, the top of Africa and then Europe. They didn't even know that there were other places, they didn't even really know what was the Far East. How many, that there were masses of people. They didn't know about India and China. And, and then let alone you know, the continents of North America and South America, all these other people that, of the world. No one, He had no idea in his mind. This was, this was something that was so much bigger. But Peter was being stretched to expand his perception of, of who could come in fully to the tent of Jesus. And there are times where the Lord is going to stretch us, you guys, shift paradigms and persp- perspectives, There are going to be times where the Lord is going to break us out of our comfort zones. It's going to challenge us to push out of this safe place. Safe place. You got to stretch here. And another thing it reminds us of is this. How easy it is. This one I can relate to. How easy it is. We'll put it up. How easy it is to resist God. Do you see it? And how patiently he works with us. (laughs) Peter. And by the way, this was post-failure, post-resurrection, post-restored, post-Pentecost, Peter resisting God. (laughs) And I think, and a part of me is going, how can you resist? And I thought, Lord, there are times when I've done, I, I have done and do the same. I am capable of resisting you. When you're prompting, when you're moving me towards something, I can, I can push back. Um, maybe part of me doesn't want to let go. I say, no Lord, no, no, I don't want to do that. There are times where maybe the Lord is trying to break me into something new and I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to, I don't want, I want to be with what's comfortable. I, where I feel safe, where, you know, I don't want to step out. I want to stay put. Maybe some of us are there right now. Maybe we can, maybe we can relate. Maybe there's a new thing that God's trying to do in our life. Maybe we're in a seasonal shift right now where where God's trying to prepare us for a new thing and we're kind of scared about that. We're holding on to stuff. It's intimidating to us. Maybe some of us are finding ourselves in places where he's trying to move us into something new. Maybe it's in our lives. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's a relational shift that God's asking us to to change our attitude around and uh, maybe he's trying to move us into a different way of being in a place, right? Or maybe there's something God's trying to break us through a breakthrough in our lives, and 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 it it's it's, it's making us uncomfortable. And there and there 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 are times. Maybe it could be even just things that are very personal to us that the Lord's trying to get us to be open to a new thing. Sometimes as we shift in life, we we go through these seasons, and we, we get the impression that we're getting like we're about ready to step into a new season. Like God's want to do something in our life. We're changing. Our life's changing, but we feel scared about it. We're like we. We are safe where we are, and it's almost like the Lord is saying, come with me, come with me here. And and we're going, I I, I want I wanna go with you, Lord, but I I I I don't I I don't wanna let I don't want to let go of this right here because this I know this. Come with me, come with me. Grow with me. Ah no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Come on. Come on. To go where I need you to go, you have to, you have to (laughs) let (laughs) let go. Yes, yes. We resist. We resist sometimes, right? And the Lord, and uh, you know, he wants us. He he's, you know, we're clinging sometimes when we need to be surrendering to him. and it might be, again, it might have to do with, listen, you know, you know when, we know when the Lord is trying to get us to respond to something in our lives, to make a change or an adjustment, and when he's trying to open us up to something, or when we're getting ready to move into something new, and the Lord's calling, you just going to have to position yourself this way, or maybe it's time to let this go. This thing's holding you back, because don't resist me on this. I know, Lord, but I... But I, I, you know, I'm used to this. I'm comfortable with this. This is the way I've been. This is the way I was raised. This is, this is my go-to. And the Lord's saying, I know, but you're going to have to let that thing, you're going to have to surrender that to me because I'm, I'm wanting you to grow. I'm wanting you to go. I'm trying to expand some things. Don't resist me. You know, we may, and we may not even say it in words, but we say it in our attitude. We're in a state of resistance. But God is going to get our, att- this is what I'm going to say. God is going to get our attention one way or another. He loves us. He works with us. Um, He's going to get us, he wants us to trust him. What I, what, listen to me. The Lord worked with Peter. Slay and eat. No, no, no. I don't do that. Peter, what I've called, what I've called clean, don't call it unclean. Slay and eat. No, no. The Lord's working with him. Work. He works with us. He works with us. You know, what is he working on right now? What's he trying to get our attention on right now? What's he asking us to surrender right now? What's he asking us to be open to? What's he asking us to be open to stepping into with courage, letting go of by faith to to allow certain things to grow inside? To maybe a relational shift. You guys, some of us are we're stuck, man. We, God's saying, "This is you gotta you gotta be open to the new thing I want to do in this relationship. You gotta do this. You gotta be open to no, Lord, no, Lord. This is not what I do. It's not what I do. Be open to the new thing I want to do in you. You know." I, Last night I was thinking about this. I wrote a poem. It's not, I don't, I don't call it, it's more like a Hallmark card, but here, here it is. Okay, you guys, I was, I was going last night. I was, I was just, just, just came, as I was thinking about this passage, his promptings we resist, and yet his promptings are this, not a slap and not a fist, not a curse and not a list, but a grace that holds us still to know a plan he will reveal in the place of surrendered will. Say one more. No, that was not why I did that. No, 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 no. Hey, listen, again, his promptings, his promptings we resist. And yet his promptings are this, not a slap and not a fist, not a curse and not a list, but a grace that holds us still. To know a plan he will reveal. Ha, but it's in the place of a surrendered will. It's when it's, when it's in that place when, when I surrender that he can reveal the better things that he has for me. But It's scary. And here's the last thing, and we'll just stick it right up, and it's this. His purpose oftentimes, right, his purpose in stretching us, and don't miss the phrase. What phrase do you notice there that is a little bit unusual? His purpose in stretching us is often to, what, is to disciple our soul, to prepare us to be an extension of his heart. What caught is he sometimes will disciple our soul. He disciples our soul. He's training us. And you know what he often you know what often the training ground is? Pain and struggle. I have grown far more in my Christian life through struggle than I ever have when I was just getting blessed all over the place. I had to dig deep. I had to wrestle. I had to look at myself different. I had to ask God. I had to learn I'd write to, again, this idea of discipling, he's training our soul. He's expanding us. And why does he do it? Why does he do it? You know, in these, these places, a lot of times, if we we'll just stick with him in the hard place, we will grow. We will, it's like, it will happen. It will happen. There were two things, and we're going to see it in the coming weeks. There were two things going on here. One was Cornelius was about to get blessed. I mean, he was about to get blessed. But the other thing that was going on was that Peter was, God was growing Peter. God was growing Peter. And you know what he, he, listen, our mission statement is to live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. But a lot of times before the Lord can have us push out, he has to have us push in. And out of that place where our souls are discipled comes a better person, a better man, a better woman, a stronger one who's more prepared to finally let go and grow into the person in this new season that he's calling me into by faith. <sighs> Let's pray. All right. Lord, I just thank you so much. You know, and we're, we're, we're here with you and, and we're going to close in a moment. and We're just going to sing about the idea of you doing something fresh in our lives. And that will be our closing word. But... God, I just ask that you would push, for, push, us, push deeper into our lives, Lord. What was the word within the word that you had for us this day? What is it that we are to sit with, hold with, think about, pray about, talk about, ponder, consider? Where is the deeper place that you're calling us into? Is it a place of surrender right now, Lord? What does that look like? Peter, rise up. No. Come on. So, Lord, I just ask, again, as we, as we take this time to transition towards the close of our service, you know, bless our time of giving. Bless all those who honor you, who the faithful who commit themselves to the one in 10. I get it, Lord. Um, we give faithfully unto you. But, I, you know, as we do this, I just ask that we would also retain a heart that is just open to finishing this service well together and just ask that you would, you would plant some things into our heart and bring fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God.